turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, he is, and good afternoon to you. It is, of course, a Thursday, the fourth day of June, and I welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. We are here in the stead each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Lots of updates for you today. We're going to flow back into a little bit of more of a uh, informative news mode from where we've been at in the last couple of days, dealing with what's been happening across America in relationship to the protests over the tragic loss of life of Floyd George and the um, the sense of angst that many Americans are feeling from coast to coast. And of course, with this has been more restrictions and rules and regulations. We've seen many communities across uh, major metropolitan regions, including our own here in the Bay Area, implement not just shelter-in-place orders, but on top of that, implementing curfews. And while most communities have relaxed those restrictions in the last 24 hours, um, it still raises a large question, even against the backdrop of, remember the last crisis we were dealing with? It seems like a thousand years ago, that little thing called COVID-19. Well, we're not over that yet, folks. And um, we're going to get an update a little bit later on from Pete Peterson from Pepperdine School of Public Policy and where we stand in relationship to the most recent numbers and how this is being dealt with from a public, <coughs> pardon me, from a public policy standpoint. But uh, but nevertheless, it 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 raises some questions about okay, when last we met, we were we were talking about reopening America again and getting people back to work again and returning to some degree of normalcy in life, even if it may be a modified version of what used to be normal. And and yet, um, ironically enough, what has been lost here is the fact that many of the restrictions that were put into place months ago remain in place, and, and sometimes in a very disjointed fashion. Uh, you know, I, I, remarkable to see that there are, across the 50 states, 3,141 counties, an average of 62.82 counties per state. California, of course, we have 58 counties. And amazingly, if you take the time to do the research, you'll find that of the 3,141 counties, Every one of them has their own rules and regulations, and every one of them seems to be distinct. No wonder there's so much confusion out there. Adding to the confusion is the experience of some friends of ours at Christian Cathedral in Oakland. Many of you are familiar with the ministry of Dr. B.B. Patton, who was a fixture here on KFAX Radio (coughs) for more than 20 years, and of course the founder of Patton College, Patton University. They're on School Street in Oakland. Well, recently, 
Christian Cathedral and Patton Academy had received approval. Oh, let me answer that phone. Had received approval to be able to hold in person with limited restrictions, but in person graduation event. And of course, that was good news to uh, Patton Academy, and they went about uh, ordering business to be able to uh, to conduct that, and even sent a confirmation email off to the public health officer that they were going to proceed with the new um, the new proposal here, the new regulations to be able to have a indoor in-person ceremony for 25 individuals, maintaining, of course, all of the social distancing and what have you. Well, you may not at all be surprised to find out that the reaction was less than ideal. And to fill in more of the story, we're joined now by constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. And, Counselor, as always, great to have you on the program. And, you know, I... No wonder there's so much confusion. Not only does every single county seem to have a different rule, but they also seem to change their minds about every five minutes. Well, they certainly do. And uh, this county, uh, Alameda County, after receiving our, after receiving a, uh, you know, request to, uh, you know, to uh, have the church to be able to open to the same degree, at the very least, that the graduation ceremony is allowed to, uh, to occur, and which makes sense. They're you see, you know, they're both like there's a ceremony, here's a church service, very, very, very similar. Uh, you know, the, the the county said, no, 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 we we don't want all these. We're not churches opening. We'll just let graduation ceremonies. But they really couldn't make a distinction as far as health and safety, uh, because you, both of them, you're sitting in one place, you're hearing a speaker, uh, music. So, you know, people come up. Get, you know, it's uh, in fact, there's even more interaction because people are actually going up and getting their their certificate. Uh, for the uh, the graduation ceremony, so we were contacted Pacific Justice Institute when they issued this this strange double standard, hostile to uh, religious uh, institution standard, and uh, we sent a a demand letter to them, um, making it very clear that they can't do that, uh, that they need to allow churches because uh, they're of like kind, if you will, as far as get place of gathering, as a graduation ceremony. Well, then the Alameda County, instead of saying, "Oh, you're right, okay, no." They said, okay, in that case, no graduation ceremonies either. And <laughs> they doubled down. <laughs> yeah, they doubled down. And it's really foolish for them to do that because case law says clearly, and we've dealt with governmental entities before. We at Pacific Justice Institute have pulled this, this stunt before. But the case law says, uh, look, um, if, you, uh, if you decide to take away the rights of a, of a, of a larger group, um, only after discovering you can't discriminate against this other group, that's not valid. If your purpose and intent, though, is, as at the end of the day, is to be able to discriminate against this other group, in this case churches, you can't get away with suddenly changing your policy to, um, you know, make the prohibition broader, uh, even though it's se- seemingly neutral on its face. It's not because the real purpose and the intent, and you made it very clear what your purpose and intent was, which is to get those churches and to keep them shut down. So we at Pacific Justice Institute, Craig, as you well know, uh, we don't take those things lightly. and We filed a lawsuit in federal court uh, on behalf of this church. But it's a, it's a decision we think that's going to be very important to um, helping to liberate uh, churches uh, throughout the Bay Area and, and California when everything's all said and done. 
You know, seemingly what, what's what's unusual about this, just to maybe put it into to other terms, this is the equivalent of the public health officer issuing a notice saying that because of COVID-19 pandemic concern, concerns over spreading the disease in the tight crowds and so forth, effective immediately, baseball games will be canceled. And everybody would say, okay, well, we can kind of get that, and that, that's, that's fine. And then to have that same public official come back with a matter of days and say, we're happy to announce that football will con- continue on as normal. And you would say, wait a minute, aside from the difference that one's played in a diamond and the other one's played on a rectangle, why would you discriminate against one and not the other, given the fact that the gathering circumstances, the environment in which it takes place, is identical? So it really seems as if the county has sort of tipped its hand here, so to speak. I, I realize that's maybe not a very accurate legal term, um, Brad, but, but it seems as if the county's kind of tipped its hand here to suggest that a graduation ceremony in person, 25 people or less, with social distancing, that's okay, but the same group of people want to gather in the same building, but instead call it a worship service, that's now illegal. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, there's no material difference. I think in, I want people to understand why this is also real important. Uh, the United States Supreme Court recently made a decision um, where they ruled that a case out of California, uh, they ruled in this case uh, dealing with the shutting down of churches, and the, the court, in a, in a narrow decision, five to four, said, look, um, you know, we're going to let you go ahead and, and shut down churches uh, so long as there are not like gatherings being allowed, you know, where people are sitting in one place for a period of time, uh, you know, for whatever purpose. Well, that is exactly what we have here, and that's why this case is so valuable, because while other cases or potential cases were just shut out, our case was not shut out because we are very methodical and strategic in how we do our litigation. Just like the other case that we filed in Calaveras County, they're opening schools but not letting churches open. That's like, it's a like-kind gathering, and that, uh, that uh, tips the scale, and that's why that case is also very solid moving forward. And if anyone out there has any issues that they know of where they're in a county and their church isn't allowed to open, but there's some kind of other like-kind kind of a gathering where people are allowed to sit down, uh, in a, uh, for a period of time in a, in a location, um, they should contact us at Pacific Justice Institute, and we'd be more than happy to assist them as well. But uh, these are both important cases for religious freedom here in the state of California in particular. It will be fascinating to see how the county attempts to defend this one. Um, just absolutely remarkable. And, and you know, you, you've got to wonder, is no one with any legal mind vet these things at all? I mean, I understand the pandemic. I understand the health emergency. I understand the, the confusing, scenario, confusing scenario in which we find ourselves now, as I alluded to in my opening remarks, Counselor. We've got, you know, over 3,000 counties across America, and everyone seems to have a different rule and a different policy. And yet to be inconsistent as so to say, okay for this, and and I want to make it clear that Dr. Montgomery, Toby Montgomery, the senior pastor at Christian Cathedral, simply sent an acknowledgement after he had received permission from the county saying, yes, you can do this. He acknowledged the receipt of that email and saying, thank you, and we're going to proceed with our graduation ceremony based on the guidelines that you have issued, 
and church service as well. And that's when all of a sudden Dr. Erica Pan uh, sprung to life and said, hold your horses, wait just a minute here. And it clearly seems to be a case of, if not an, an awful lot of, um, shall we say, a, a, a political malpractice, if not outright discriminatory practices toward a church here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Remarkable. When do you think this is going to be adjudicated? It's hard to, it's hard to tell. Uh, we're, we're moving through on the litigation. I'm hopeful, frankly, that Alameda County and the legal counsel will look at the U.S. Supreme Court decision that came out, look at the facts pattern, look at our, our, the lawsuit we filed, and realize that they're in a likely losing pattern and, and, and get the matter resolved. We want to get things resolved as quickly as possible. We're willing to work with them. Um, but it's really sad. Right now, six of the seven counties in California that are not allowed to go to Phase 2, that are very, very restrictive, are there in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, they may have their reasons, but their reasons uh, cannot violate the Constitution and show preferential treatment in a hostile way against religious gatherings versus non-religious gatherings. Well, we appreciate the good work and uh, keep up uh, keep up that good work. It's critically important, especially at a time like this when, as I say, there's so much confusion concerning the law out there, or at least application of the law under this little thing that everybody ought to understand. It's called the United States Constitution. Not a new document by any means. Kind of hard to proclaim ignorance about that one. But they do it all the time, apparently. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer, founder, and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. I thank you kindly, sir, for the update. 518 on the clock. Let's get you an update on traffic from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation, 522 here in the Thursday edition of Lifeline. And my goodness, have we been hit? I don't know how you intended to start your 2020 year, but um, clearly a lot of things are not panning out the way likely most of us expected they would. From the impact of this unknown disease that's now claimed the lives of upwards of 110,000 Americans. And we're still continuing to search for an answer. We're not out of that set of woods by a long shot. And then on the heels of that, the tragic death of George Floyd in Minneapolis a week ago Monday. And it seems to be the match that lit this boiling powder keg and blew the lid right off. So now here we are trying to not only deal with the fear and anxiety of a disease that's claiming the lives of so many people, but now the unsettling feeling of watching rioters and looters in the streets. Protests are one thing. Destruction of public policy, police cars set on fire, police being shot at and killed. Very disquieting. And boy, you talk about a time in a season when man's hearts would fail within them for fear. How do we go about dealing with all of this and keep a sense of calm about us. Keep our level heads, as they say, while all about us are losing theirs. Well, with some insights, we turn to a very special guest. He is the founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources called A Place of Hope. He's the best-selling author of more than 25 books on topics that range from addiction to depression and eating disorders. He is Dr. Gregory Jansen. Dr. Jans, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us today. And 
Boy, these are times when um, certainly I think all of us sort of struggle to find our sense of groundedness because of so much calamity, turmoil, and doubt that seems to be all around us. You know, the, the times we're in right now, anxiety is at all-time highs. We know that anxiety is surpassed. Um, it's been said that depression has been at the top of the list right now, but anxiety has suppressed that. Uh, and so what we know, Craig, is that there are many people, and you know, in a spiritual way, anxiety or fear is the great paralyzer. And so we're seeing also the people acting out of fear, people being paralyzed to make any decisions. So I'm so glad we can talk about this. Let's work through some of these details. I read in the last probably 48 hours that uh, pharmaceutical supply companies are actually running out of anxiety, anti-anxiety medication. No doubt people feeling the pressure of COVID-19, the loss of jobs, the concern about where's the next paycheck coming from, how am I yeah, paying the rent, yeah. the mortgage, caring for my family. I mean, that is an enormous burden to bear and as we're just looking for signs anywhere of a little bit of hope here or there then we see all of this violence explode on the streets of america and the frustration that comes along with it because of uh, so much uh, racial discrimination that seems to be just running rapid and wantonly in our nation today it's no wonder that people really get a sense of of, of inability to cope and Oddly enough, Dr. Jantz, oftentimes a lot of the sources that we might normally run to, let's go visit a friend, let's go to church on Sunday and, and be with people that can comfort us, but even that, because of the current pandemic, has been taken away. So it's no wonder so many people are struggling to cope with all this. Yes, we take uh, quarantine, another word for quarantine is confinement, and we take that and we match it with uh, uncertain future matched with current uh, high anxiety and unrest, and what you have there is um, really, a, a, it's a ticking time bomb. Something will break. Well, our health health can break. Chronic stress is taking its toll. We know, and I really do believe that we are we're really on the verge of a mental health pandemic, and I'd like to be a part of, of turning that tide. Uh, it's 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 tough, and, and I want to have a great uh, care and empathy for how difficult it really is, and it is. And uh, people are, as you mentioned, the medications uh, are, uh, you know, being easily prescribed, and, and I see that as a, it's a bridge, but let's look at the whole person. Let's look at what do we need to do to maintain our, our well-being for the long run, not just the short term. Let's talk about that. People often turn to faith, as I mentioned a moment ago, and yet for many people out there that don't have faith to rely upon, or again, are just feeling so absolutely overwhelmed by all of this, it, it's emotional reaction to things that we cannot control. And I would suspect from a medical standpoint, doesn't this also set up some chemical reactions uh, in, in the brain just because, you know, the, the heart gets pounding and the adrenaline gets flowing and there's that fight or flight response to fearful situations and yet as you say here we are in quarantine or 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 in you know like being under house arrest so even the ability to sort of follow through on the fight flight um, reaction has been taken away from us absolutely and so um, 
we got to look at the whole person. So we got to ask ourselves, okay, who's my three, three to five, not any more than that, people who I can be really honest with, who I know who may be struggling as well, but we're going to come together as a team. We're going to pray not only about our own issues and own struggles, but um, let's pray for two things, protection, uh, okay, and that would be emotional protection as well, and provision. We need provision. And, you know, in a greater sense, we also need um, to really reset some things in our life. We need to reset uh, the whole racial divide. We need to reset maybe it's our own personal self-care. Um, are we doing escapism behaviors? I was at the uh, grocery store checkout line, and I thought I would ask a fun question, like what's selling the most right now? And I thought it might be toilet paper. This was a couple weeks ago. And she said to me at the checkout at the grocery store, she said, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's alcohol. We can't mm, keep it on yeah. the shelves. And I, this yeah, is just I, one, I, sus- one I suspected person. you were going to say that. Yeah. yeah. I suspected so you'd say are, that. Yeah. What, what are we turning to right now that could be self-destructive versus good self-care? What do I need to do to improve my sleep? People aren't moving as much. And so, you know, we're telling our, our, our staff, hey, I want you outside twice a day. I want you walking, and I want you to, you know, we, we put little uh, verses on uh, the old-fashioned three-by-five card, and when, when you're out walking, I want you to pull that out of your pocket. I want you to say it out loud. I want you to renew your mind, take care of your body physically. Um, you know, my, my verse for today on my three-by-five card is Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So I'm going to say that out loud. I may be really struggling, but I'm still going to say what the truth is, because the one thing I know right now is God's Word doesn't change. It remains true. When I don't know who else to believe or what to believe, yeah. And so um, taking care of ourselves is so important, the sleep, nutrition. And what I'm seeing is uh, during this season, people are forgetting to take care of the, the basics, and then we're not functioning well. Give us some top tips, if you would, Dr. Jantz, and I, and I apologize. We really need an hour to discuss this topic. At, uh, maybe at least you can kind of give us a little bit of a top-tier look at some of the things that people can and should be doing at this time. You talked certainly about that connectedness, and maybe we can't get together physically, but we can get on the telephone, we can go to a, you know, an online chat or Zoom thing and, and get together that way. That certainly is one way of being able to deal, deal with it. For some people, just shutting it off seems to me so difficult. And I guess a lot of that is a product of we watch it on TV, then we go online to check our email, we see more news about it there, and then a friend across the street calls us and says, did you hear about the protest? And it seems as if we're on information overload. Address that, if you would, and how can people move into that area where they can get a sense of disconnection from all of this negativity? There is an information overload. And so if we're on, you know, if you're working from home, let's say, and you're online all day and you're getting notifications all day and you're doing nothing but going between all the different news choices, um, by the end of the day, you're going to have not only uh, digital exhaustion, you're going to have some real uh, high anxiety because we are affected by that. So I think what we do is we go, I've got to limit this. Um, And I'll tell you a personal example. My wife is doing that, and, I'll, and she's doing so much better. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> and she said to me yesterday, she says, if there's something important I need to know, I need you to tell me. <laughs> so, um, and it's not that we want to put our head in the sand, but it's saying, look, I need a timeout. And take care of yourself. So, you know, digital overload is really huge, and people are, are having too much stimulus before they're trying to go to bed. And so breaking this down, go, hey, an hour before bed, man, I'm going to start decreasing this. Um, people are not drinking. I mentioned water, but it's so interesting. Uh, we're overloading on a lot of other things, but people are not drinking water right now. Isn't that interesting? It is. And, you know, taking care of our bodies, and you've written many books about this topic as well, regarding the, the connection between yeah. our sense of emotional well-being, mental well-being, and our physical well-being. And, and, you know, as much as eating disorders can lead to physical problems, they can also have an, emo an emotional and a mental toll on us as well. So I, I guess, you know, they, they talk about, well, everybody's in quarantine right now, so we're eating cookies and cake and candy, and we're, we're sort of self-medicating. And, uh, you know, I, I guess we would expect when this is all said and done that there's going to be a significant uptick in um, the level of obesity even in America because of it. Yes, and, you know, the sugar overload. So we're doing those things physically. So I'm just saying, hey, put a pause on it uh, and uh, the, look at the self-care. That's one area. Look at our, at our spiritual, spiritual self-care. What am I doing? Um, and maybe it doesn't seem like a lot, but what am I doing right now just to keep my mind and spirit renewed? And I just shared a little example about a, a verse on an old-fashioned 3 by 5 card. Uh, the power of that is not to be underestimated, by the way. <laughs> Keep doing that. The other thing is, look for, this is kind of a, a third broad, broad category, but look, who can I be of service today? So just one person. My wife put on all of our family's devices a reminder that comes up every day, and it pops up on our screens and on our devices, and it says, just one person. And th that's to keep us thinking, yeah, we've got our own stress, that's for sure, but how can I look beyond myself? God's going to bring at least one person for me to check in with, one person for me to you know, speak a good word over, but in some way, God's going to bring somebody to me today that needs, uh, needs that from me. I may not be, you know, you may be saying, hey, I, I'm not doing that great myself, but I want you to know I really care about you. So yeah, nothing perhaps can be of nothing perhaps, uh, Doctor Jans, can be more beneficial than for we to think outside of ourselves. Not only to do that, as you suggest, by focusing on our relationship with God and where our life is spiritually, but also to think outside of ourselves and focus on others, others less fortunate. Maybe you have a neighbor in your community or in your block who is unable to get out and go grocery shopping because of COVID-19. They're elderly, and maybe you can say, hey, I'm going to go buy groceries next Tuesday. Can I pick up something for you? Some way of focusing on a way that is less about how you are feeling in a negative fashion and ways in which you can help make others feel better. And I'm going to really, really promise you that if you'll do that, I think you'll see a marked difference in your own sense of well-being and attitude. Dr. Gregory Jans, we sure appreciate the time. Aplaceofhope.com, information about his ministry online, as well as his books, his most recent one, Healing the Scars of Addiction, Reclaiming Your Life and Moving into a Healthy Future, newly published by Ravel. 
Dr. Gregory Jantz, thanks for being with us. 536, we're a little late here. Let's get caught up on some traffic right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, if you were with us at the top of the hour, we were talking with our dear friend Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute about some of the inconsistency that we see not only across the country, throughout states, but even within the same county over regulations and rules pertaining to the current pandemic and and the sense of, uh, you know, uh, disjointed I don't know what other word to use, but disjointed public policy. And I noted that in America, in our 50 states, we have 3,141 counties, 58 of them here in California. And of the 3,141 counties, you can probably, I'm going to bet, find 3,141 entirely different takes on COVID-19. So... We're certainly learning in relationship to the events that have unfolded, not just in the last week at many layers, but since January, that there are areas of public policy, the arena of public policy in America today, that is greatly being strained. So let's get a bit of a perspective and update. Joining us is the best person I know to address this issue. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, Pete Peterson. Pete, I hope you're staying safe and, and doing well. We are, Craig. Great to be with you again. Boy, uh, you know, I, I would suppose that, that public policy experts like yourselves look at some of these things that are going on in America and just shake your head. I mean, for example, we had the case here in Alameda County of a very predominant church in Oakland that's had a presence here in Oakland for, my goodness, 60, 70-something years. They received official approval from the county to conduct a 25-person in-person graduation ceremony, you know, the usual face mask, mm-hmm. six feet apart, all that business. Great. So the pastor of the church acknowledged the email, granting permission from the county and said, thank you very much. And under those same terms, then, um, we'll also um, be starting up church on Sunday. And lo and behold, back comes a reply, nope, not only can you not do that, but the graduation is off too. And I I find it quite ironic that other than changing the name from graduation to church, nothing was different, same building, same number of people, same policy, but all of a sudden, two entirely different takes on this. Why is it that we seemingly are beginning to cover such a degree to which there is a disjointed sense of public policy in this country? Well, unfortunately, that is at least part of the American experiment, right, in the sense that, as you just laid out in all the different layers and levels of government, this was part of the founder's genius that you didn't want to centralize power and policymaking in in one particular place, as we learned and they learned uh, through the European experience. But what that has translated into in times of crisis and certainly we're seeing that not only with the pandemic, but as we're seeing in the response to the protests and riots, are a real patchwork of different regulations. You know, Craig, we're experiencing this just now. I'm, I'm back here at home in Santa Monica, and to understand that within the last few days we've had almost competing curfews set by Los Angeles County versus 
Santa Monica and people not knowing where they essentially live and what regulations they're under, uh, it really is both confusing and infuriating and, uh, and lends to the thing that really the founders most uh, wanted to fight against, which was uh, confusion as to how laws would be implemented and certainly the the equal justice under the law is something that is is difficult to follow when you're not sure where these laws and regulations are coming from and why they're being enforced the way they are well you've really hit the nail on the head i think and and let me back up and say that i thoroughly get what you're saying in regards to your observation of the absolute genius of our founding fathers to not create a centralized, top-down, one-size-fit-all style of government because we know that the rules and regulations that might make perfect sense in San Francisco might be utterly ridiculous in a place like, you know, um, Peoria, as they say, or yeah. in the middle of Iowa, yeah. right? right. That, that I get, and I applaud that. I think where there's a sense of consternation and confusion is that a good number of Americans, maybe many that were absent when the civics lesson addressed all of this, but they look at this and say, now, wait a minute, we're dealing with the exact same topic, and yet the guidance offered at the federal government versus the state versus the county versus my local municipality looks like four entirely different sets of guidelines, and I'm not sure who ultimately is the one that holds the trump card meaning who which which one has the greatest voice and the greatest power and then when you add to that now i'm going to really make the the, the question for you complicated pete and i apologize in advance but then when you add to that the apparent sense of confusion over the story that i just alluded to where right. you have a policy that says you can gather together 25 individuals engaging in social distancing and face masks in person, 25 people in a building for a graduation ceremony, no problem. Same set of circumstances, move it out of the graduation into church service and move it to a Sunday morning. Now all of a sudden, nope, verboten, cannot do it. So this is, I think, where a growing number of people are really getting frustrated. Who ultimately gets to make the call, and why is there the sense of disjointed application that almost seems as if that there are two sets of rules, and it depends on who you are as to whether or not you get the more favorable set, if you understand. No, you're right, Craig, and especially that last example that you gave there in Oakland. You know, the, that wasn't even competing jurisdictions. You were in the same place uh, and applying from the from the same church, just a, just a difference in uses, but everything else being consistent, you get one answer one day, and not only the opposite answer the next day, but you lose uh, the supposed right, uh, which is, it's not a right uh, to be able to, to do that. I mean, this, this is just a freedom uh, that we should be able to express. That is particularly infuriating, and I, I do see, uh, and I think we're all seeing, that this disconnection and lack of communication between jurisdictions is really creating a lot of confusion. And again, it's not just related to the pandemic response, but also what we're seeing in the public safety response to these uh, protests and riots that uh, at different levels, even uh, within county jurisdictions, you're seeing a variety of different regulations and restrictions 
being implemented, and it can be extremely confusing. You know, this really points to a maybe a glaring shortcoming. And, and here's that shortcoming the way I see it, that when we speak of elected officials or the appointment of uh, government positions at the state or federal level, we typically look for people that have a degree or a background in whatever nature of work that they're going to be undertaking. We like to see them have a sense of values and, and a, a, you know, a, a strong, healthy resume, good recommendations, all of these things. And yet it seems to me as if maybe one of the glaring shortcomings in public policy um, or individuals that help shape public policy today is a growing sense of a lack of really truly understanding the Constitution of the United States. Mm. Coming back to, again, my example of what's transpired in the city of Oakland, because it would seem to me if in that case, if the public health authority there fully understood the totality of the value of First Amendment rights and what that means, that there would be greater care given to make sure that they're not creating differing policies for differing groups or not accidentally completely squashing someone's constitutionally, let's be careful about this, not granted but protected rights. So does this really come back down to the nature that we need to be thinking about equipping young people, the next generation of politicians and policymakers and 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 the statesmen and leaders to really fully not only have the skill set necessary to to execute their job but also the fundamental love appreciation and understanding of many of these god-given constitutionally protected rights no that's absolutely right craig you know as i often tell my friends at the law school if we don't get the policy right that we're going to see you in court right and so much of just the just the example that you just give there. Uh, there's somebody in uh, the administrative state in the health department that has been taught some view of public policy which doesn't consider religious liberty. And I'm sure, it, if not in this case, in many others, uh, the courts are going to be full with cases like this where policymakers who did not consider America's founding principles like religious liberty at the front end of creating these policies, we can only hope then that there will be some in the legal profession and judges that will adjudicate rightly. But again, I see this from a policy school as a supply side problem, that we need better, more informed policymakers with these understandings of America's founding principles, not only in our law schools, but for those who are writing these policies in the first place. I want to shift gear as our time winds down, Pete, to uh, an important question here, and that is this, that as the current school semester kind of collapsed and fell apart because of the current pandemic, but students nevertheless have now completed their their course of study at the um, high school level, and they're looking at um, four-year college and universities and, and the next phase of their scholastic career. Um, and, and maybe for the students or the parents eavesdropping on our conversation right now that say, you know, I get it. These are yeah. so critical pol- public policy issues, and we do absolutely need to have people that are thoroughly trained in what it means to draft public policy that makes sense and then help our leaders properly and consistently execute on that. Say a quick word, if you would, about the fall semester at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Yeah, well, we're planning for probably uh, the most unique fall semester in our 23, going on 24 
your history of Pepperdine. Uh, we've created, while we've always been what we call an on-ground class with um, courses offered on our Malibu, California campus, this coming fall, uh, we are creating a new online course structure. And so for those students, whether it's for health reasons or certainly for our international students who may not be able to make it to campus, uh, they're going to have the opportunity for the fall semester to take every single class that we offer online. And it may be in different capacities, but suffice it to say, we're creating this what we call maximum flexibility uh, course schedule uh, for the fall and the beginning of our 20-month master's in public policy program. I love that because it really demonstrates the ability of a school like Pepperdine to be able to be flexible, to shift based on changing needs and changing scenarios. And, you know, in in the final analysis, while so much has been taken away from us during the course of this pandemic and such tragic loss of American life, to see that, as the old uh, adage goes from a scriptural standpoint, what the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good and for his glory. Right. And the capacity to be able to suddenly now have students that might say, you know, I thought about this, or it sounds appealing, but boy, I don't know if expense-wise, the traveling and having to relocate to Southern California from the Bay Area might kind of be out of our family's financial reach, but to find out suddenly now, good news, the school is going to pack up and come to you <laughs> in an electronic sense is absolutely brilliant. Folks want to get more information about the fall semester and the ability to take advantage of this um, uh, new way, this sort of telecommuting, as it were, of, uh, yeah. of education and learning. Where can they get more details? Details. Well, thanks, Craig. It's at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Uh, our application deadline for fall classes is still a month away. It's uh, July 10th, actually. So there's still time to apply for fall classes and all the information about this online fall stru- structure where you can start online is all at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Well, it's a brilliant move that's being done by the school, and uh, and I would just urge listeners, get more information. As Pete Peterson indicates, there's about a month yet to go for the fall registration, and knowing now of this expanded opportunity, um, you know, I, I would urge you to look into it and take advantage of it. America right now desperately needs to have well-educated, thoughtful, God-honoring, Constitution-understanding leaders, public policy shapers, public policy makers, and those who execute on public policy. And maybe if you feel God is calling you to a very role just like that, it's such a time as this, and then I encourage you, and I'm not being paid to say this, I wasn't asked to say this out of my own volition, I urge you to take a look at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Check them out online, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. And I I say that just because Pete Peterson's a great guy. Hey, Pete, (laughs) I sure appreciate your time, brother. Thanks for being with us today. Always great to be with you, Craig. Thanks so much. All right, you stay safe and stay well. 5.56, that uh, means we are very late or a little bit early. (laughs) We're going to get a look at traffic right now and some other business. Then uh, when we come back, Brian Johnston's going to join us for an update. But uh, before we do that, let's get a look at traffic.